music button. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and we are going to talk about something I am not qualified to talk about. The list is long, and Alyssa has some, um, some good things for me to start off with. Um, all right. Go ahead. How many time zones does Russia have? How many time zones does Russia have? Okay, so the United States has four, right? Mm, I think so. I'm going to say eight. Ah, a little too far no. or less. There's 11. 11 time zones? Mm-hmm. Wow. How does Vladimir Putin do it all? <laughs> the world may never know. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he's not I'm sure he's not going to tell us. And if he did right. tell us it would probably not be the truth. <laughs> 11 time zones. That's pretty incredible. A lot of Russia's like frozen wasteland, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I think what I mostly know about Russia I know from uh Tom Clancy novels from the <laughs> 80s. I had someone ask yeah. me some, what I thought about Vladimir Putin, and I'm like, I just I didn't really know <laughs> what to say. And so I said, well, I guess he's trying to advocate for his own interests and his own people. And he said, but he's bad. And it's like, his interests are different than ours, right? So sure, he's yeah. bad. I'm no fan of Vladimir Putin. Are, are you? I mean, are you? Uh, Not really, no. <laughs> yeah, I... Putin bad. Okay, moving on. As long as he stays <laughs> in Russia, I think we'll be fine. Right. So um, we're talking about something I do know a little bit about, um, biblical studies. And we've been in the book of Romans for 16 sermons now. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> we have uh, 12, well, 12, 13, 14, 15, four to go. And then we'll be out of Romans for a while. We'll have uh, Palm Sunday and Easter. And my friend Jeremy's going to come and speak. And um, after that, we're going to do a, a series called Ouch. It's about church Ouch. hurt. Yeah. You ever been mm. hurt by the church? Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting because, like, church hurt, I, I think is it's really when the church doesn't have good policies and procedures or doesn't follow them well. And it happens, right? I think, mm -hmm. okay, so this is the church wonky thing um, where a lot of times a church will have too much democracy and not enough good policy. Um, I was part of a non-church, a parachurch organization. Okay. So, kind of like a church, but not. And okay. they wanted to handle a lot of things on a case-by-case -case basis. So that meant that you could have one decision one day and another decision the next week. And well, right. we handle things on a case-by-case -case basis. And I was like, this is this doesn't work real well. So anyway, yeah, there's there's that kind of stuff out there. So like it like structure in church really bugs me sometimes. <laughs> Does it ever bug you? Oh, all the time. All the time? Structure in church. <laughs> um, so church hurt is a, uh, one part of it. Then there's people hurt. A lot of times what we 
think is being hurt by the church is that we are hurt by people in the church. And a mm-hmm. lot of times it's because like the social contract is maybe unclear between people. Um, so in the, in the social contract, I mean, I don't know. What's, what's something you could do to me that would violate the social contract? <laughs> um, I don't know if you walked up and smacked me, that, that, that would be a violation of the social contract, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not the normal thing that you would do to somebody unless they had done something egregious, and which I try not right. to do egregious things or and uh, <laughs> um, try to resolve things through conversation as as ineffective as that is sometimes. But a lot of times people hurt is because, you know, somebody looked at me funny. And then we mm-hmm. have this interpretation of someone looking at you funny that is really like it's not even um, they might be having gas pains and they're trying not to fart in church (laughs) can you say fart in church on a yeah you can say here we can say fart in church okay so um so you're trying not to fart in church you have a funny look on your face somebody walks by and they're like oh you must be mad at me about something well that's not even actually that's not even people hurt that's butt hurt okay so but but hurt is when you are uh, unjustly um, offended or insulted by a thing that just doesn't even really it's not even really about you. Guys trying not to fart. Mm-hmm. People hurt is when people just, you know, people are rude sometimes. And that's where like we we should have good procedures at the church level to deal with people talking, you know, saying something rude to you without having to, you know, get mad, stomp out of the church and go find a new church home. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, many, many churches, and this is true in many churches, in many contexts, everything is fine until somebody gets either butt hurt or people hurt. And then the church is the one trying to, as an organization, like, do we wait in? How do we wait in? Uh, what's our responsibility here? And if policies and procedures aren't very clear, then sometimes it's really hard. Not to mention the role of confidentiality. I may know things about the situation that I cannot tell you or somebody else. And then they're like, oh, he never listens to me. Right. Um, I, I don't I, I was at a meeting attended by about 60 people about church music. And I read four books to get ready for this meeting to just really try and think through, OK, what is it that church music is supposed to do or accomplish and. Nobody gave mm-hmm. two toots. Nobody cared, not even a little bit. They were just mad. And they were mad because they weren't getting the music they wanted. Right. And like, okay, so is that church hurt, people hurt, or butt hurt? I would say it's butt hurt, you know, because you just want what you want. And the organization, like, they, they were trying to instill a growth agenda for this church that had a demographic problem. They were getting older. They needed young people. Well, mm-hmm. young people... Um, I like old hymns. Do you like old hymns? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes when you get the old piano going and, you know, really cranked up, you're like, ah, I like the old hymns. But uh, this church was You got to go organ, not piano. Really? Organ? I sold, oh, yeah. I sold the organ at the last church I was at. Oh, no. my The church I grew up in, we have a huge pipe organ. Oh, yeah. That would be different. This was a nice organ, but it wasn't that nice. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's that, those are some series coming up. Um, actually, I, I was thinking about that a little bit this morning when I reminded myself that it's my day off. Stop thinking about that. 
So anyway. so hard. Yeah, it is. It really is. So um, in our current sermon series, we've been talking about Romans 11. Uh, we, well, we've been talking about Romans. We've been talking about Romans for 16 sermons, uh, which mm-hmm. feels like a long time. But I think like every time I think about that, I, I'm reminded that um, you could spend a long, long time just kind of going through Romans and keeping like all the pieces uh, together. Right. And I think mm-hmm. we've done a pretty good job of like understanding the outline and how all these pieces fit. And the current section that we're in, like the title for the section, I don't really like it's called sovereignty. Of course I stole it from somebody else. That's why I don't like it. Um, <laughs> but in that it's just like God's control over the means of salvation. And we talked about in chapter nine, how you are not born into a situation of a right standing with God. You don't um, like your, your kids will have to make their own choices, right? Our, my kids, my grandkids, they will all have to make their own choice about following Jesus. And so we don't want to uh, neglect the role of the family and the importance of the family. But we don't want to rely on, you know, I've been in church my whole life or I was born into a Christian family. No, no, no. You have to make a decision about Jesus for yourself. And um, hopefully our kids will um, not like discern from the background, but we'll be actively involved in teaching them and trying to point them in the right direction and help them make good choices. Um, my, My younger son, or no, my older son, when he was a little guy, about the age of your kids, Okay. And he was he was something else. Uh, he was he was talking about God all the time, and he came to me one side and he says, "Dad, how do you spell God?" And I'm like, "I'm in Bible college. I'm beaming with pride. My son is taking an interest in the things of God." And I said, "Well, son, you spell God G O D." And he said, "Dad, how do you put Zilla on the end of that?" So it brought me from the, the heights of achievement as a parent into the depths of despair. And I said, well, son, you, you put Zilla on the end of that by saying Z-I-L-L-A. So Godzilla on his mind as a little guy. You're not born into the faith. But that doesn't mean like the, the big question that Paul is really wrestling with is if the Jewish people are the people of God, God's chosen people, and mm-hmm. now everybody gets into a right relationship with God through Jesus. What's the deal? Like, why, why, is this, why is this change in effect now? What happened? And what Paul is really trying to help them understand is that the Messiah, the promised deliverer, was always going to come through the people of Israel, but not to the people of Israel alone. And so um, they kind of lost their vision for the world around them. They had a lot of um, racist ethnic problems. That's not uncommon in the ancient world. The idea that um, like diversity, equity, and inclusion is a great idea. Okay. But if if it could be achieved, um, it it would have already been done, right? It's, it's a very difficult idea to achieve because we are as a, as a species, we're kind of inherently tribal and that's too bad. Because we should be open to respecting and loving other people. That's kind of like the gospel part of it anyway. In chapter 11, uh, Paul sort of kicks off by saying, um, 
He didn't say, um, I asked then, did God reject his people? <laughs> By no means. Okay, still continuing on that vibe. Um, and he brings up an example from the history of the Jewish people from the time of Elijah. And okay. the time was a time of great apostasy. Now, when was the last time, Alyssa, you used the word apostasy as in just in your everyday life? Uh, not very often. Not very often? Like you're not walking no. around work throwing out, you know, apostate, apostasy, and apostatize. Not, those aren't. I do watch a lot of LDS or FDLS uh, documentaries. Okay. So All I right. do hear apostate a lot. Okay, but... yeah. Yeah, so that, and that would be like some of those churches have a very high level of social control. I, I use the word church yeah. there lightly. Okay, I don't believe that they're uh, in the same in the same, um, they're definitely not in the same historical Christian tradition that, that we are. And mm -hmm. so when you leave that church, you apostatize. And of course you're going to be condemned to hell because you left the church. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would say that there are a lot of people who leave that church and actually find Jesus. And that's a good thing. Um, well, that's interesting, right? So not a word you're unfamiliar with. You're a smart Correct. lady. Um, <clears throat> There's a guy on TikTok who left the Amish, um, so they would probably view him as apostate, right? Um, at a time of apostasy, people are actively leaving um, not just the church, but a relationship to God. And if you look into uh, some online stuff and some statistics, what you'll find is that we live in a time where people are actively leaving the church and they're becoming what's called nuns and duns. So not nun, N-U-N, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Okay. Right. And these are the people where if you give them a survey of their religion and they say, hey, you know, what, what religion are you? And they'll list a whole bunch of religions. And at the bottom, they say none or unaffiliated. Right. And a lot of people mm -hmm. are just checking the nun box. Because their their beliefs about God either are you know non-specific, um, like even atheism, right, is a specific belief about God. Um, right. A lot of people are just like, eh, I'm okay with God. Never asking the question, is God okay with me, or even who is God? Like that's even a question that people don't even bother to ask. As a religious professional, that bothers me very deeply. But I actually, at the same time, I love meeting those people. And especially in a context where I can talk to them and try to find out, okay, so you left the faith? Why? Or you uh, have no faith? Have you ever thought about it? You know, I, I just get curious. The duns are the people who have been in church and they've decided for whatever reason, church hurt maybe one of them, is uh -huh. that they're just going to leave and they're just done with religion. They're, they're done trying. Um, they're maybe burned out or worn out. Um, a lot of people who are, and I'm, I'm really actually super sensitive to this, uh, trying to make sure that volunteers don't get burnt out because churches can really, really do that to people. And I just don't uh -huh. think that's right. I think a lot of pastors, calling out my own tribe, um, don't really understand what it looks like for somebody to work, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week and then come to church and volunteer. And so I want to be super sensitive to those people who are doing those kind of things. So 
a time of apostasy. Now, Paul sees his time as a time of apostasy because the Jewish people who received the, the, um, the um, historical influence of God, they had the law, they had the prophets, they were God's chosen people, they had that from history, but not all of them are turning to Christ. And so for Paul, he's like, this is apostasy. And he brings up the time of Elijah, where Elijah was living at a time of great apostasy. Great story, 1 Kings, like 16 to 19. Um, let me give you some of the gist. So yeah. there's this king, a Jewish king named Ahab. Okay, Ahab decides he's going to be bad. He's going to be a bad king. Israel has had a run of bad kings. And he decides he's just not going to try to be good. And he marries a woman named Jezebel. Now, most people have a, a negative association to the name Jezebel. You won't find a lot of mm -hmm. little girls running around rocking the name, you know, Jezebel. That's the, we know that's bad, right? <clears throat> and so, right. <laughs> although that could be something that you call out your kid, right? You little Jezebel. Um, she's not, none, there, there is no human, well, maybe there's not no human child who's that bad, but Jezebel was really bad. She was a priestess of the Canaanite god Baal. Now, Baal is spelled B-A-A-L, and you can pronounce it Baal or Baal. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there you go. So she's a priestess of Baal, and the, the thing about this is she and Ahab formed this uh, religious political alliance. And in this religious political alliance, they are actively trying to undermine the relationship of, of or the, the religion of the Israelite people. They're trying okay. to undermine uh, the worship of Yahweh in the, um, in the nation. And so they start hiring their own Baal prophets to promote mm -hmm. the religion. And they start spending money to uh, promote the religion, advertising. You know, they probably have a big advertising budget, um, <laughs> throwing a lot of parties. You know, the whole mm -hmm. religion was pretty uh, coarse and crass. It involved uh, physical intimacy, not necessarily limited to spouses. And just a very, like, you throw those kind of parties and people start showing up and, and degrading the morality of society. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's all sponsored by the government. You can imagine how difficult it would be if a well-funded, like, let's say Google, We'll throw, I don't know, are they going to listen to this? They probably will. <laughs> let's, let's throw them under the bus anyway. So Google decides to start a church, and they want to open up a branch in Oak Harbor. Now, we're mm -hmm. doing well, but imagine Google's just dropping cash and money and you know, has a great worship band and has you know, all these different events <laughs> and things, and they're all free. It's kind of hard to compete with that, right? Right. When you're offering like a deep, sincere religion, uh, it's kind of hard to compete with somebody who's just dropping a bunch of cash. So that's what's happening in the nation of Israel. And people are starting to go along with it. They're like, hey, uh, sure, whatever. Ball, Yahweh. Um, Ball has great snacks. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, Elijah, one of the prophets of God, he goes and calls out Ahab. So he goes to Ahab. And, and this, like, you have to think about this because they're killing the prophets of Yahweh. So God says right. to a prophet of Yahweh, go talk to Ahab for me. 
he goes and talks to Ahab. And Baal is also a rain god, a rain and fertility god. And so he says, uh, we're going to turn the rain off. So Elijah goes to Ahab and says, God says, the one true God says, no rain. And so good luck praying to Baal. And um, this goes on for three years. So the brooks dry up, the land dries up, there's famine mm -hmm. all over the place. And they're hunting and killing the prophets of the one true God. And Isaiah, uh, Elijah is hiding out in, um, in a region that is the center of Baal worship and Jezebel's hometown. <laughs> I think that's amazing, right? Like, it's, it's like the covert ops um, version of, it's covert ops religious version. And um, <clears throat> so there, Elijah hides out there for three years. Uh, God feeds him. He raises the widow's uh, son when he dies. And then um, God says, okay, go talk to Ahab again. It's like, oh, man, really? And so Elijah arranges this contest where he tells the king and, you know, queen and whoever, and he says, look, let's have a contest. You get 450 of your prophets, your state-funded, uh, best you can get, you know, religious prophets, and I'll go up against them, you know, one against 450. Right. And you remember the story, don't you? I think so, yes. Yeah, so he tells the prophets of Baal, you guys go first. And here's the, here's the contest. We're going to set out an offering on an altar, okay, but we're not going to light it on fire. We're going to ask the God to do that. So you ask Baal to start the fire, and I'll ask Yahweh to start the fire. So the mm -hmm. And everything is dry. It's dry as a bone, right? You can get all the dry wood you want. So the prophets of Baal uh, set up their sacrifice, and then they ask Baal to light the fire, and of course Baal doesn't light the fire. Well, they go on all day. And so they start jumping and, and screaming and cutting themselves. And Elijah starts mocking. He says, call louder. Maybe he's on a journey. You know, jump more. Maybe he's on the toilet. I mean, just really just <laughs> ragging on these guys. And then he sets up it's the time of the evening sacrifice. And he sets up his altar and he says, it's my turn. But before he calls for God to uh, light the fire, he says, bring water. And they bring jars of water and they dump water all over the sacrifice, all over the wood, so that it fills a trench around the altar. And he says, do it again. And so they come and they dump water on this thing again. He says, one more time. And so it, it is thoroughly doused. It is not going to catch fire. And Elijah prays to God. God sends the fire. It consumes the offering, the wood, the altar. The very stones of the altar are completely destroyed by the fire of God. Bam. Man, that's a good day in ministry, <laughs> right? Can you imagine that right? happening at church? Like God showing up at that level and you're just like, man, that was amazing. But what I think is really uh, telling is what happens next. So the prophets of Baal get killed. The people of Israel kind of rise up. But it's not really the end of the story because Ahab goes back to Jezebel, tells her the whole story, and she sends a messenger to Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you. Now, like, put yourself in Elijah's shoes. God has hid you for three years. God has fed you. You just, you, you were a participant. You, you 
God raised this little boy who died, and you were the guy who were there for that. You did that, right? By right. God's power. And this woman is going to threaten you? You just killed 450 of her prophets. God just did fire the fire thing. Elijah gets terrified. And he runs away. And he runs away and he sits under uh, like a broom bush or a broom tree. And he says, God, I just can't do it anymore. Kill me. And it's like, wait a minute. How does this even make sense? Well, if you have a degree in psychology, how does it make sense? You're human. He's human. Yeah, he's human. And depression sometimes comes after a great victory. Like all mm-hmm. of these things, you go back and you count the ways that Elijah is stressed out in his life. He's on the run. He's having to rely on God for food daily. He's having to you know, deal with all these different things. He's completely stressed out. And God says to him, uh, take a nap. And God sends birds with a snack. Because sometimes when you're depressed, you need a friend who brings a nap, uh, brings a snack mm-hmm. so you can take a nap. That's what you need. But what's interesting is how Paul sort of comes back to that story because God answers him. Elijah complains to God, and he says this. This is actually from Romans 11.3. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. He felt so alone. But you know, he's not alone. And that's one of the things I think that uh, as Christians, sometimes we feel very alone. And we feel like the organization maybe isn't listening to us or our friends aren't, aren't fully engaged in what's going on in our lives. But what God says to him in verse 4 of Romans, it's a repeat from uh, the Old Testament. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And really what he's saying is, Elijah, you're in good company. You're in good company. Um. And so then verse five says, so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so the comparison is this. Okay, so in the Old Testament, at a time of apostasy, um, there was a group of people who remained faithful to the one true God, even when things didn't look very good. And at Uh Paul's time, there is still a remnant of the Jewish people who have become followers of Jesus So just like there was a remnant then, there is a remnant now. And so Paul is using this story to provoke the Jewish people, because right now he's very focused on the Jewish people. And he says, Mm -hmm. you want to be part of the remnant. You don't want to be part of the schlubs who follow after Baal. You want to be the ones who follow after God. And following after God means coming to him through Jesus. That's the new thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think... um, like Paul would be Paul would be a difficult guy to have as a pastor because he was yeah. he was very blunt he's kind of in your face and he's kind of pushing people to do the right thing now uh, you know probably in person he was softer right but then he right. comes back at Romans 11:11 11, 11, <clears throat> and he's going to start talking to the gentiles right because we've got Jewish people and gentile people coming to faith uh, in God through Jesus and they're becoming one church 11.11 has another question. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? Speaking of the Jewish people. By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. 
Paul views Gentiles coming into the church, into this right relationship to God, as something that the Jewish people would look at and go, oh, man, I want that, right? You ever have your, okay, so your husband works at a car dealership. You ever have him bring something home and you're like, oh, I want that? Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, really, that's all you got? <laughs> what is it that, that would just light your fire if he was like, this one's ours? Uh, I'm not sure. I got distracted. Oh, okay. So SUV or sports car? SUV. Okay. Uh, Ford, Chevy. You have to say Ford. Well, he works at a Ford dealership. It has to be a <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing a Bronco shirt right yeah. now, so. Comes home with a brand new Bronco. Yeah, all right, fine, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I want that. That's what the church is supposed to be for the Jewish people, something that they see and realize that they're missing. They're missing out on a restored relationship to God, and they would see that by the new relationships that the people have to one another. And that to me, that, 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 that idea just kind of blows my mind because so often in church, we're just dealing with problems and just kind of getting through. We have the same mm -hmm. divorce rate as non-Christians, you know, just we, we have problems. And that's, you know, not to call anybody out. These things happen. I, man, I get it. Um, life is a mess and it's a messy place. But we should, as Christians, we should have like a mental framework that helps us deal with all of the things that life hands out. And sometimes that's, that's really hard. Mm -hmm. So if their trespasses, verse 12, now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? So Paul sees that if the Jewish people actually do become envious of the church and then decide as a nation that they want to follow Jesus, man, that would be a great thing for the entire world. Verse 7 says, but if some of the, oh, sorry, verse uh, three, 13. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Okay, so he's kind of making a big switch here. He's going from talking to the Jews to talking to the Gentiles, and he's going to use two different illustrations. And the one that's probably easiest to understand is the olive branch. Uh, you've heard of like plant grafting before, right? Uh, right. You, yeah, you can take a branch. Have you ever done it? No. Okay. It's too complicated for me. But. Oh, no, I don't think so. Um, so the idea of behind grafting is that you can cut a branch from one tree and you can make mm -hmm. a certain kind of cut in another tree and you can insert the branch from one tree into another. Okay, here's your trivia question for the day. Okay. How many different kinds of fruit could be grafted, or what's the record for grafting kinds of fruit into a single tree? Five. Do, 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 do. 40. Wow. Yeah, 40 different kinds of fruit from a single tree. Um, if I didn't realize there's 40 different types of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's actually even like my favorite graft that I found um, through research for this sermon. Um, you can take a cherry tomato plant and graft it onto a potato bush. And okay. it will produce both tomatoes and potatoes. 
from the same plant. Which I found that to be unusual. I thought that was pretty weird. So it's not like a hybrid. You just they grows two separate. Goes two, yeah, two separate things. I think the, the, there's a little bit of a trick to it because I think you might be able, it might influence the flavor. I don't know. Um, it's certainly beyond my talents as a gardener, which is cutting the <laughs> But think about how God grafted the Gentiles in. Like He had this program for the Jewish people. We get to Jesus, like the Jews were, would, would be okay, maybe more okay with Jesus, if Jesus was just for them. Mm-hmm. But that's not the way that it works. Jesus is for the whole world. And really, the Jewish people were supposed to be priests to the whole world. And so uh, part of the warning for the Jewish people is be part of the remnant. Part of the warning for the Gentile people is don't be arrogant in your faith. You did not earn this you're not chosen out because you're a special kind of cherry tomato plant you're people who have received a gift from god i think the church forgets that all the time Mm -hmm. and i think that um you see that in some of your um in some of your church hurt where People in church look down on people who are coming to church for the first time. Yeah. I can tell you a story. <clears throat> so there was a there was a man who was part of a Baptist church. This is long ago and far away, so nobody you know. Um, <laughs> Baptist church where a um, guy invited, you know, some of his coworkers to work or to church. Yeah, coworkers. Yeah, invite your coworkers to work. I'm sure yeah. it's a crayon today. Um, he invited some coworkers to church, and they came, and they they became Christians. They became new followers of Jesus. And the only thing that they knew, they were a younger couple, and what they knew is that you were supposed to wear nice clothes to church. And mm-hmm. the only nice clothes this young woman had were the clothes that she would wear to go to a club. So nightclub clothes. Think mm-hmm. um, like a midriff shirt and a t- uh, short skirt. Okay. Right. They had a child. They were up in the balcony because they're still trying to get their feet wet. They're just kind of broken into the door. They're trying to understand their faith. And apparently I wasn't in the choir at the time. I'm not qualified, but apparently when she got up to take care of the baby and, and turned around and bent over the entire choir (laughs) lost their sanctification, except for the blind guy. (laughs) How do you treat people like that? Well, the little old church ladies or the the people who are, are, you know, preserving the purity of the church may have an inappropriate response to that. Those people should be loved and taken care of because God loves them. The church should not become arrogant. The Gentile church should not become arrogant because we have received salvation. We should be willing to help everybody on the planet get there. And so I thought about... um, you know, who are your, who are your people who, like, who are your Gentiles? Do you ever think about that? Yeah, kind of. Do you have an ick? <laughs> What's the ick thing? What do you mean the ick thing? Like on the, on TikTok, the ick thing. Oh, I don't know. I'm too easygoing. But... <laughs> you don't have an ick? You like everybody? Not really. Huh. I don't think so. So apparently, like from my understanding of ick, 
it's like if you're in a dating situation and your guy or your girl does this, then that's an right. ick. And maybe an apparent deal breaker. I don't, I'm, I'm, I haven't dated in a long time. So same here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for me, it's the kind of thing where, um, people view people of another race with a negative opinion or with a negative look or vibe. Racism mm -hmm. deeply, deeply bothers me. It really does. And so it's hard sometimes to remember that God loves racists too. Right. Right. Because I, I mean, yeah. those, some of those words, I mean, those are, those are words that would like instantly throw me into a rage and want to you know, go outside. Let's, let's have at it. Come on. I'm an old guy, so I'm at the point in my life where I'm going to lose those fights. But <laughs> doesn't mean I don't want to just come on. This is this is this is not the way we should think about people. But God loves racists too, and that's true for people whatever color your skin is. God loves you. God loves mm -hmm. uh, the people who hate you. Um, <clears throat> the Gentiles and this warning, I think, is really it's a big warning. And it goes down and it says, uh, so you go down a little bit further. You will say then branches were broken off so I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And so I think this warning for the church in general is just uh, to make sure that we are not producing nuns and duns. And one of the things I read this week is there's a new sociological classification for people who are um, like post-pandemic interested in coming back to church, but they're not quite sure how to do it. They're called mm -hmm. the ums. Um. Yeah, I don't make these words up. They're the ums. And you can, like, I can feel that, right? Because I, I've gotten the sense at both Shoreline, Heart of the Lakes, Pathway, the churches I've been involved in. There are always people who feel like they're right outside the door, you mm -hmm. know, and they'll, they'll come visit and then they won't come back. And you're like, what just happened? Like, did, did they not enjoy it? It was a great service. Um, but they're just, they're, they're just trying to break in, trying to find the right place for them or trying to find something um, that, that works for their family or their kids or whatever. And I think they're just, there are a lot of ums in the world. And I think the part of the warning in Romans uh, 11 and really in Romans in general is just to be thinking through what does it look like as a Christian to help the ums break in the door and stick? And what does it look like as a Christian to help the nuns and the duns come back to the church? Because not just back to the church, but back to their faith, back to a vibrant, um, passionate commitment to God. What does it look like to be a part of that process? I love meeting nuns. Um, N-O-N-E-S's. I guess N-U-N's would be fine, too. I just don't, you know, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things. I love meeting nuns, right? Because I'm, I get curious. Oh, yeah. you know, um, how'd you get there? Why are you there? Did you just, I, I love people who didn't grow up in church because they ask the greatest questions things that you never thought about. They would just be like, oh, what about this? I was talking to, I had a, had a home church for a while, which does not look good on a resume. Um, and the 15-year-old daughter was there every other week. And so 
I was using the story of Noah's flood, and there's a cliffhanger in the text, right? You don't know who's going to make it out of the flood. And Noah had some sons, right? Now, she got very Mm -hmm. interested in the sons. And so they're getting on the ark, and I'm building the suspense and building the tension and cliffhanger. And she says, wait, 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 wait. I love it when kids get excited about the Bible. Wait, do the sons (laughs) make it? Because she wasn't going to be there the next week. She wasn't going to hear the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Do the sons make it? Yes. That's the kind of thing that as people who have been in church for a long time, they don't ask those questions. Yep. So there you go. That's pretty much all I've got. Uh, Okay. Okay.